I have now decided to recuse myself from any existing or future investigation. Oh, now you've decided? Okay. What took so long? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. No, it's not. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on 90.7 FM KPFK in LA. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on 94.1 FM WGRN. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. And in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. We're also heard, uh, oh, don't forget, AM 950. KTNF, the progressive voice of Minneapolis, of Minnesota. Nobody can, can forget Minnesota. You know, in Minneapolis, St. Paul, we're also heard coast to coast and around the globe. On the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, Troublemaker, muckraker, all around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, some 48 million people watched President Donald Trump's first address to Congress on Tuesday night. 48 million people on broadcast and cable news networks. Sounds like a lot, but it actually uh, ain't that much. By comparison to those 48 million people, um, 52.4 million people watched President Obama's first address to a joint session of Congress back in uh, February of 2009. And compared to Bill Clinton, his first address to Congress in 1993, that brought in almost 67 million viewers, according to uh, according to Nielsen. Uh, so uh, why do I bring that up? Well, a it drives Trump crazy. I suspect that he uh, was outrated. He, you know, he's all about ratings. He was outrated by both of the uh, previous Democratic presidents. But it also underscores, uh, frankly, how few Americans actually saw that speech on Tuesday night versus those who, at least, uh, no doubt, saw coverage of it of it by a uh, very fawning U.S. media, both that night and in the days that have followed, characterizing the speech as presidential, the long-awaited Trump pivot, and other comments which, frankly, served to normalize what was not a normal speech, what was a very dark, very not normal speech. We'll speak with the New Republic's Jeet here shortly. He describes the speech as American Carnage Part 2, referring back to the uh, to uh, Trump's inauguration speech and arguing that it mirrors in substance, I at least if not in tone, that dystopian address uh, back in January, uh, just over a month ago. So we continue to try to let you folks know what is actually going on in that regard. 
versus so much what you hear in the media, which maybe does not accurately describe what is actually going on. Uh, speaking of what is actually going on, Desi Doyen, hello. <laughs> I am actually going on, uh, You are on, yes. going on, and you will we'll be back with a Green News report in a bit on some stuff that is actually going on, including uh, it appears that the new uh, EPA administrator, Environmental Protection Agency, um, the new administrator, Scott Pruitt, appears to have lied to Congress during his confirmation hearings when he, he claimed he did not use a private email server for official business when he was the, uh, what was he, the attorney uh, general in Oklahoma? Yeah, there does seem to be a lot of this, you know, not being straightforward with the, the Senate during your confirmation hearing thing going on. You know, I, and I'm old enough to remember when Republicans used to want to lock people up for, you know, doing things like having private email servers and then lying about them, apparently, as he did to Congress. So we'll have some details on that coming up shortly and much more in our Green News report. But, yeah, Des, as you mentioned, uh, speaking of lying to Congress, uh, this is uh, this story keeps moving uh, as we've been prepping today's show. It may be moving still by the time we finish today's show. It certainly may move by the time you hear today's show. I don't know. Um, when we started, well, a, a growing number of both Republicans and Democratic leaders have been calling today for Attorney General Jeff Sessions to step aside from an investigation into Russia's alleged interference in the 2016 White House election. Uh, Donald Trump has said there was no need for Jeff Sessions to recuse himself from any investigation, despite that growing number of both Republicans and Democrats calling for his recusal. Trump said uh, today that he he retains total confidence in Jeff uh, Jeff Sessions. Well, late today, just before we go to air in a press conference at the Department of Justice, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, despite the president saying he doesn't need to recuse himself, Jeff Sessions has said that he would recuse himself from any such investigation. I have now decided to recuse myself from any existing or future investigations of any matter relating in any way to the campaigns for President of the United States. This announcement should not be interpreted as confirmation of the existence of any investigation or suggestive of the scope of any such, such investigation. Because we in the Department of Justice uh, resist confirming or denying the very existence of investigations. That was Jeff Sessions moments ago saying he was going to recuse himself from any investigation if such an investigation actually exists at the Department of Justice. Uh, prior to his announcement at that press conference today, top Democrats had been demanding that Sessions uh, go further than just stepping aside from the investigation. They're calling on him to resign as the nation's top law enforcement officer. After the revelations yesterday, I think it was yesterday from The Washington Post, uh, that uh, that Sessions had spoken twice with Moscow's U.S. envoy uh, during the presidential campaign, which Sessions was uh, was a part of uh, as a surrogate for for uh, for Donald Trump and as an advisor. Uh, and he had those discussions while Sessions, who was then a U.S. senator, had served as a member of the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee. The conversations 
with Ambassador Sergei Kisilyak seem to contradict his uh, session's sworn statements to Congress during his confirmation hearings, uh, according to AP. And I underscore the word seem. We'll play that in a moment and let you decide. In any event, House Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi had accused Sessions of lying under oath for these comments. And both she and Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer said that uh, Jeff Sessions should resign. Schumer said of Sessions' remarks during uh, during his confirmation hearings, quote, it was definitely extremely misleading, to say the least. Sessions, for his part, uh, had said on Wednesday night uh, that uh, he said, I, I, I have, he said, quote, I have said when it's appropriate, I will accuse myself, recuse myself. Yeah, that's a telling word. Yeah, it is. You know, he <laughs> said recuse. Uh, Trump uh, asked if Sessions should recuse himself on Thursday, said, I don't think so. But then things seem to have changed quickly today. At least three House Republicans, uh, Congressman Jason Chaffetz of Utah, Daryl Issa of California and Tom Cole of Oklahoma, have said that uh, that they wanted Sessions to withdraw from any investigation uh, into compa- uh, campaign contacts with Russia. Uh, GOP Senator Rob Portman of Ohio said that while Sessions was a former colleague and friend, quote, I think it would be best for him and for the country to recuse himself. Republican House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy of California said he thought uh, Sessions, quotes, needs to clarify what these meetings were. He said it was it isn't unusual for members of Congress to meet with ambassadors. But he added that if a question arose about the integrity of a federal investigation, quote, I think it'd be easier for an attorney general to step away. Uh, which he has now done. Now, uh, by the way, McCarthy, uh, Desi Doyen has uh, walked that back a little bit. Yeah, about an today. hour later, he he walked back those uh, those those remarks and decided that he wasn't going to ask for a recusal. Uh, House Speaker Paul Ryan said Sessions should only recuse himself if he is a subject of the probe. We don't know if he is a subject of the probe being carried out uh, by the DOJ. We don't even know if there actually is one. I guess. Uh, At the press conference at the DOJ a short time ago, Sessions characterized a number of things he discussed during his meeting with the ambassador from Russia. Uh, But he said that he, quote, could not recall whether there was any discussion of the campaign itself during their chat. Sessions was an early supporter of uh, of Trump's candidacy. Uh, He was asked during his confirmation hearings in January what he would do if, quote, anyone affiliated with the campaign, quote, in the course of this campaign had been in contact with officials of the Russian government. Sessions replied uh, that he had not had communications with the Russians. He answered no in a separate written questionnaire when asked about those contacts. This is uh, specifically Senator Patrick Leahy in this questionnaire said, uh, here's the question. Several of the president's uh, president elects nominees or senior advisors have Russian ties. Have you been in contact with anyone connected to any part of the Russian government about the 2016 election, either before or after Election Day? Sessions response. No. And during the actual confirmation hearings, Senator Al Franken of Minnesota was a bit more direct in his questioning of, uh, of Jeff Sessions. CNN has just published a story, and I'm telling you this 
uh, about a news story that's just been published. I'm not expecting you to know <laughs> whether or not it's true or not. But CNN just published a story alleging that the intelligence community provided documents to the president-elect last week that included information that, quote, Russian operatives claimed to have compromising personal and financial information about Mr. Trump. These documents also allegedly stated, quote, there was a continuing exchange of information during the campaign between Trump surrogates and intermediaries for the Russian government. Now, again, I'm telling you this as it's coming out, so, uh, you know. But if it's true, it's obviously extremely serious. And if there is any evidence that anyone affiliated with the Trump campaign communicated with the Russian government in the course of this campaign, what will you do? Senator Franken, I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I did have, not have communications with the Russians, um, and I'm unable to comment on it. Very well. So that was the uh, the full response from Al Franken as that uh, news was said to be breaking uh, at CNN and Jeff Sessions' response to it. If there was any evidence that anyone affiliated with the Trump campaign communicated with the Russian government in the course of this campaign, what would you do? Sessions says, I'm not aware of any of those activities. I've been called a surrogate a time or two, and I did not have communications with the Russians. Now, in a statement uh, late last night, Sessions, when he was asked about this, he said, again, I never met with any Russian officials to discuss issues of the campaign. I have no idea what this allegation is about. It is false. White House spokesperson Sarah Huckabee Sanders today called the disclosure of the talks with Kislyak, the uh, Russian ambassador, quote, the latest attack against the Trump administration by partisan Democrats. She said Sessions met with the ambassador in an official capacity as a member of the Senate Armed Services Committee, which is entirely consistent with his testimony. Sessions had more than 25 conversations with foreign ambassadors last year in his role as a U.S. senator and senior uh, and, and as a senior member of the Armed Services Committee. He had two separate interactions with Kislyak. The Department of Justice has now confirmed one was a visit in September in his capacity as a senator, similar to meetings with envoys from uh, that he had with envoys from Britain and China and Germany, other nations, according to the department. The other occurred in a group setting after a Heritage Foundation speech that Sessions gave during the Republican National Convention last summer when several ambassadors, including the Russian ambassador, approached him after uh, after the talk and as he was leaving the stage, that at least according to the department. For their part, Russians for Russia's foreign ministry has denied any nefariousness here and has characterized uh, the ambassador's meeting with Sessions as, quote, everyday business. Spokeswoman uh, Maria Zakharova angrily, angrily rejected further allegations made by anonymous U.S. officials that its top diplomat here in the U.S. is actually a spy. 
She said Russian Ambassador uh, Kislyak was, quote, a well-known world-class diplomat who has communicated with American colleagues for decades in different fields. And CNN has accused him of being a Russian spy, of recruiting. Oh, my God, she said. Uh, she, uh, at, a, at a press briefing uh, today, she dismissed the reports as shameful, misinformation, vandalism. Trump tells reporters uh, that he, well, at least he did tell reporters earlier today that he has total confidence in the attorney general and that he should not recuse himself from that Russian investigation. That was before, of course, he did. Now, uh, a couple of points I want to make here. Um, one, uh, as far as accountability for Jeff Sessions beyond recusal, uh, there is this call for uh, his resignation. There is, uh, I think, it's Roots Action uh, has set up a impeachjeffsessions.org. Because the fact of the matter is, uh, as uh, Professor of Law Josh Chaffetz notes today, Professor of Law at Cornell uh, Law School, uh Sessions was a sitting senator. He was testifying before a Senate committee at the time of his confirmation hearings. And as such, he is protected from criminal prosecution by the speech or debate clause of the U.S. Constitution, at least according to Professor Chaffetz. Now, that doesn't mean he cannot be impeached. Impeachment is a uh, is a political act. Uh, so I guess that could happen. But as far as the idea of lying uh, to, to Congress here, you know, if you look at that, uh, the full exchange there that we just played with uh, with Al Franken, um, it's not altogether clear to me that he did lie. He has a way out of this if he wants it, um, you know, but partisans, Democrats being what they are, you know, they're going to make whatever hay of this they can. And I understand that. That said. I don't understand uh, why it has even taken this long for Jeff Sessions to recuse himself. And this is as somebody who uh, does, you know, I have not been, uh, you know, yelling and screaming about uh, Russia. Yeah, you and, haven't gotten on the bandwagon of, uh, of saying that Russia has completely infiltrated I, everything. You've been asking for I've evidence I've been asking of for that. evidence of that. And, A uh, lot of you people know, have been asking for, you know, hey, this is understandable, but, you know, you guys, you need to put out some, some evidence or something. So an investigation uh, is perfectly appropriate, and it should be an independent investigation. And that's what uh, a lot of Democrats are calling for that. We, you know, we have uh, investigations going on in in the Congress, in the Senate and in the House, in the intelligence committees. But those are headed by Republicans. There should most certainly be independent investigations of this. And I would think that anyone uh, on any side of this issue would want an independent investigation. I would think that Republicans would want an independent investigation. No matter how they feel about this, I would think that Jeff Sessions himself would want an independent investigation. And I would certainly think he would want himself uh, that, that he would have recused himself uh, from this matter long ago. You know, I, I am never against in investigation of anything, even stuff that I might think is absolutely nuts and crazy. I, you know, I have been. Too many sides, uh, too many times on 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 the side of the issue where somebody is saying you're crazy, Brad, for even bringing that up. And then later it turns out, oh, what do you know? I was exactly right about that. So, I, you know, I don't poo poo anybody's investigation. Um, 
Well, also but remember want, that if yeah. you don't do an investigation, if you don't do an investigation that everybody can look at and pretty much agree that was independent, it's going to hang around everybody forever and will exactly. never, ever, ever go Ex- away. No, exactly. That is my point. That is why I never understand why when th- these people who <clears throat> fight recusal, uh, you know, about overseeing something that they're involved with, it's not going to help them. It's only going to hurt their case by not recusing unless, you know, they actually have something to hide. And that's what they're trying to do. And I don't know if that's what Jeff Sessions was trying to do. I don't know, you know, if that's what Trump wants when he says, oh, Sessions should not recuse himself. But that makes no sense. Recuse yourself. Have an independent investigation. If you know that uh, you are completely innocent, if you know that this thing is complete and under utter nonsense, then have an independent investigation move forward so that we can all see the evidence and we can all find out one way or another. So I, I don't know. I, I don't what understand. What took him so why, long uh, is the exactly. question. That's uh, the question. And we saw the same thing happen, by the way. Uh, with uh, with Michael Flynn again, w- w- General Flynn, uh, the National Security Advisor, when you know he was claiming he did nothing wrong, and I made the case that we have no evidence that he did do anything wrong, but he lied about it. He did not tell the truth about it. He fought, uh, you know, apparently uh, concerning those conversations uh, with the Russian ambassador, which were probably perfect. Well which I don't know, but would have been potentially perfectly appropriate in the days leading up to uh, uh, Trump's uh, Trump's inauguration. So, uh, you know, I don't know if they have anything to hide, but for those people who feel they have uh, nothing to hide here, I think they ought to, you know, be more forthcoming about that and say we need independent investigations one way or another. That seems to me something that everyone on every side of this issue Ought to be able to uh, to agree on. Maybe I'm wrong, though. All right. uh, I just wanted to hit that point real quick. And let me get to this uh, one other story here real quick, because this has been gnawing away at me uh, since this happened on Tuesday night. Uh, Donald Trump uh, seemed to shirk his own responsibilities as the commander in chief. Uh, on Tuesday before his joint address to Congress when he said that uh, military leaders, uh, it was their fault. They called for that ground raid in Yemen five days after his inauguration that resulted in the death of a Navy SEAL. He said it was the generals. It wasn't him who wanted to carry out the mission that resulted in the death of at least 25 civilians, nine kids under the age of nine, including one American girl, and the death of 36-year-old Navy SEAL Ryan Owens. He was asked about uh, that raid and uh, uh, the father of Ryan Owens, who is uh, not happy about this, wants to see an independent investigation into the matter. He was asked about it uh, on on Fox News prior to his uh, joint address. Mr. President, you mentioned John McCain mentioning uh, that uh, young man who died, the Navy SEAL who died in that mission. Uh, His father has said that he didn't want to talk to you. Your reaction to that? Well, this was a mission that was started before I got here. This was something that was, uh, you know, just they wanted to do. Uh, they came to see me. They explained what they wanted to do. The generals, who are very respected. My generals are the most respected that we've had in many decades, I, would, I believe. Uh, and they lost Ryan. But again, this was something that they were looking at for a long time doing. 
And according to General Mattis, it was a very successful mission. They got tremendous amounts of information. So they lost Ryan, uh, seemingly referring to the generals, uh, and but they got great, tremendous amounts of information. Now, uh, Owens, uh, the father of the young man who was killed, uh, said, why at this time did there have to be this stupid mission when it wasn't even barely a week into his Trump's administration? All of a sudden we had to make this grand display. The New York Times reported that Trump had approved the raid over dinner with Defense Secretary uh, James Mattis uh, and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, Joseph Dunford. Reuters, citing U.S. military officials, reported that Trump approved that first covert counterterrorism operation without sufficient intelligence, ground support or adequate backup preparations. Responding to comments from Senator John McCain, with, who had concerns about the raid as well, White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer said uh, on February 8th, he said, I think anyone who undermines the success of that raid owes an apology and it's a disservice to the life of Chief Owens. Trump went on uh, that night, Tuesday night. Uh, after those comments to Fox News to give his address to Congress, where he had invited Owens' widow to be in attendance. We are blessed to be joined tonight by Corinne Owens, the widow of U.S. Navy Special Operator, Senior Chief William Ryan Owens. Ryan died as he lived, a warrior and a hero, battling against terrorism and securing our nation. I just spoke to our great General Mattis, just now, who reconfirmed that, and I quote, Ryan was a part of a highly successful raid that generated large amounts of vital intelligence that will lead to many more victories in the future against our enemy. Ryan's legacy is etched into eternity. Thank you. So, again, there was the president in that speech um, seemingly hiding uh, behind Owens, at least to my reading. That uh, response went on and on and on. He ad-libbed. He got more response uh, as as they applauded uh, uh, Ryan's widow there. So that was Tuesday. And then the following day, after saying that General Mattis uh, confirming again the important information that came in, the very next day, according to NBC News, the Pentagon says... Navy SEALs scooped up laptops, hard drives, cell phones in last month's Yemen raid, but multiple U.S. officials told NBC News that none of the intelligence gleaned from the operation has proven actionable or vital, contrary to what President Trump said in his speech to Congress on Tuesday. That comes from 10 current U.S. officials across the government. Now, none of them were named in this NBC report, but there were 10 of them, according to uh, NBC News, who have been briefed on the details of that raid so far, saying that no truly significant intelligence has emerged from that hall. We'll talk more in the future about uh, that raid, I suspect. Uh, but as to the spectacle on Tuesday night... Josh Marshall uh, noted that it was transparently constructed in order to repurpose Owens's widow and her palpable grief into a heat shield toward any effort to question the wisdom of the raid or investigate what happened and why. 
Mattis, he writes, will have to answer for himself if the uh, if his public statement matches uh, the the real after action assessment that was uh, quoted by uh, Trump there. But it's noteworthy, Marshall says, that Trump laundered his apparent deception through Mattis. Military missions go wrong, he writes. It's always the president's responsibility nonetheless, and that doesn't mean that it's the president's fault. Trump has displayed an uncanny refusal to take any responsibility for what happened in this raid, even going so far as to all but deny that he even authorized it. This is a moment, writes Josh, when we'll see just how earnest the press is about holding the president to account. This presidential moment that so many referred to in Tuesday night's speech was the most shameless kind of exploitation, and it would seem a straight-up lie, according to Josh. Well, we will see uh, how earnest the uh, media is, uh, but as to what the way they regarded that speech on Tuesday and how presidential it was, well, my next guest is going to speak directly to that. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Don't go away. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast on yet another busy day. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. As I noted at the top of the show, some 48 million people watched Donald Trump's first address to Congress on Tuesday night. Uh, and let's see, 48 million people, that compares to uh, 52 million people who watched President Obama's first joint uh, address to a joint session of Congress back in 2009. Why is that important? Well, uh, as I noted, because A, it probably drives Trump crazy that uh, Obama got more viewers than him because uh, he you know, lives on ratings. But even more importantly... Uh, it's the fact that Americans will rely on the media coverage to characterize the speech and its content, since so many of them did not see the address at all. Um, and so if they're relying on the media, well, here's an idea of how many in the corporate media characterized that address to Congress uh, is a montage courtesy of the right-leaning Washington Free Beacon who, given the background soundtrack you'll hear that they added to it, uh, clearly they were very happy with this particular depiction of the speech from the mainstream broadcast media. Donald Trump got some great reviews tonight. Many branding it the best of Mr. Trump's short political career. This was the best speech of his political career. This was probably, without a doubt, one of his best speeches that that, that I've ever heard. That was the most de deliberate, disciplined speech I've ever seen him give. His short political career is the best speech he's given. Exactly. And it achieved what you want a good speech to do. Delivering an important, powerful speech. It was one of the best speeches in that setting I've ever heard any president give. I think that was a winner politically. I think that's probably the reason he was elected in Michigan. 
Lincoln, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio. It was very, very healing. And he said in the beginning that he was going to speak from his heart, and I certainly think he did that. We knew this about Trump. He knows how to dominate a room. And also using all the rhetorical and symbolic uh, tools at his disposal. It was engaging and interesting. It showed his heart and what he cares about. This will be, I think, a very well-received speech for Donald Trump. But the reviews have been much more positive because this speech was so much more traditional. 57% of speech watchers had a very positive reaction. 82% of people who saw the speech called Mr. Trump presidential, including a majority of Democrats. 69% of speech watchers say his policies are going to move the country in the right direction. A pretty positive, overwhelmingly positive reaction to the president's speech. The night's most emotional moment, a standing ovation for Karen Owens. The widow of Chief Petty Officer Ryan Owens. In terms of emotion, that clearly was a high point, and, and he handled that very well. I mean, the most solemn responsibility of the Commander-in-Chief is to honor and to take care of veterans. He did that tonight. He became President of the United States in that moment, oh. period. Yes, he did. Uh, he became President. It was triumphant. It was the long-awaited pivot. That's how, uh, just a taste, with some added music there of, of how the uh, corporate media viewed that speech on Tuesday, leading me to think, have the media learned nothing? That question may answer itself, uh, but answering that question were a few in the media. Over at New Republic, Brian Butler angrily rebuked the media for their response in praising Trump's address. As this uh, triumphant presidential pivot, the one they've all been waiting for, clamoring for for more than a year, predicting would be coming uh, in his article. The worst performance of Trump's presidency now belongs to the press corps. Butler argues the media's reaction was shameful. He says Trump delivered a thoroughly dishonest scapegoating first address to Congress and nevertheless won rave reviews from the political commentariat. Trump is the villain of all of his own triumphant and disgraceful sagas, uh, Butler writes. But the plot of this chapter is about a political press corps that is outmatched and completely maladapted for the challenge that he poses. He cites Mike, Gr he cites Mike Grunwald over at Politico who tweeted, I'm just reading the gushing coverage and understanding better how Trump got to be president. Also at the New Republic, Jeet here offered analysis of Trump's ad address uh, to the joint session, uh, and he discussed the actual content of that address. Huh, go figure. Referring back to Trump's dark inaugural address, uh, it was a piece headlined, American Carnage Part 2. He explained that it was, quote, easy to see why analysts responded positively to Trump's speech, which was notably more inclusive than his polarizing rhetoric on the stump. But here goes on to argue that such praise should be tempered by the fact that Trump's newfound normality is only relative. If any other president had given this speech, much of it would have uh, alarmed mainstream viewers with its dark, dystopian and divisive message. Here to talk about that dark and divisive message and the uh, mainstream corporate media's failure to characterize it as such is Jeet here. He's a senior editor at The New Republic. He has published as well at places like The New Yorker and The Paris Review. He's the author of two books, has co-edited eight of them, and has the uh, lively Twitter feed at Here Jeet. Uh, Jeet here, welcome to the broadcast, sir. 
good to be here. Uh, all right. Well, perception is uh, is reality, and you know it's often the media who offer that perception to people. People view what a president does through the eyes of the media. Uh, and so, you know, their actual, their actual, not alternative explanation of reality, I would argue, is important. Uh, and, uh, well, from the coverage of New Republic, it seems that, uh, that you guys agree that the media did not uh, step up on this one. Yeah, I was kind of, like, uh, shocked at the um, coverage uh, that the speech was receiving because I really felt like people were watching a different speech than I, I was. I mean, I will grant you, by Trump's standards, uh, you know, this was uh, more moderate and presidential, but only by those standards. I mean, you know, this is the president whose inaugural address spoke of American carnage. Um, and so it's true that, you know, he... Um, uh, so you mentioned that, you know, uh, this is uh, the end of Black History Month and we have work to do, which, you know, from any other president, like even from Ronald Reagan, would be a banal statement, right? But for right. Trump, we're so grateful. <laughs> and he, he, he condemned the desecration of Jewish cemeteries, which, again, like, you know, in the America I used to know, like, that it would be taken for granted, of course, that any politician, let alone the president, <laughs> would be horrified by the desecration of Jewish cemeteries. But we're suddenly to treat this as, like, this is a pivot? Uh, and if it is a pivot, what does that say? Um, now, now, having, having, having said that, I think that, uh, in some ways, the speech was a, um, it was a Jekyll and Hyde speech. And mm-hmm. I, I really, somebody made the sort of uh, interesting point that uh, you could probably see sort of Steve Bannon and uh, Rens Priebus kind of, you know, working together, and mm-hmm. you know, but uh, just sort of dumping in different paragraphs. Because uh, you had, you know, the standard Republican you know, healthcare speech, and then you had talk of these, you know, like immigrants that are uh, uh, terrorists, and are, uh, and we have to have a special uh, agency to monitor immigrant crime. Yeah, I know, and I actually I want to get into some of those details, but I want to be uh, clear here before we move on. I don't want to let the media off the hook too much here because it seems like this is the, exactly the sort of thing that has gotten us into trouble so many times in the past, not just during the election itself and the way. Uh, the media covered Trump. But, you know, thinking back to George W. Bush's, you know, triumphant mission accomplished speech. It's just it seems like the media are constantly looking for these uh, the, these moments that don't necessarily match up with reality. And they end up affecting, uh, you know, the way the public views actual policy and the way the administration actually moves forward. So to me, the mischaracterization was very important. It was very dangerous. But am I am I overstating it? Do, do these speeches well, not matter all that much, ultimately? I mean, I, I do think that, uh, yeah, I mean, speeches like this, they, uh, they usually give the president a small bump, which then sort of levels off. Uh, but I think it's more like a matter of, you know, what sort of conversation is the nation going to have? And it's like sort of a process of normalization of, you know, like thinking that Trump is a president like others that we've had before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and yeah, there is an immediate impulse, um, uh, which I think is really a monarchical impulse. I mean, the American president sort of occupies the same space in the American system that the, the uh, queen does in the British system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a kind, and the, in America, unlike England, the head of state and the head of government is one person. Uh, you don't have a sort of division between a prime minister and president. So there's a tendency to, on the part of uh, uh, large parts of the media, to be sort of like courtiers and to you know, say, well, you know, the emperor is wearing lovely clothes. And they, they will say that even if the emperor is naked. Um, 
And and we should make the distinction uh, here. Your colleague, uh, Brian Butler, actually does this. Uh, between the journalists, because there's actually a lot of, I have been encouraged lately because there's a lot of journalists actually doing good work, digging, you know, doing investigative work, background uh, sources and, and, and so forth. Uh, and they're also in the corporate media. So there's sort of that group versus those, I guess, in the, the pundit hot take class. Uh, do, do you wish to uh, notice the difference between those two? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah I think Brian's uh, piece was very astute, and I think that's a, a definite distinction. I think that with the pundit class, there's partially like, you know, you if you keep on saying like Trump is, you know, screwing up or saying crazy things, then people will like, you know, like it becomes a boring message. So you have to have a, a pivot. You have to have a narrative twist. It was like, oh, suddenly Trump is brilliant. You know, like and, and he's the greatest uh, speaker since Cicero. Yeah. Um, so you have to. Uh, so, so so there's that aspect. And I think it's also a matter of kind of incentive. Um, the uh, if you're the sort of I mean the the, the great investigative work that's being done uh, by some people at the New York Times and the Washington Post and elsewhere um, is done by people who are really sort of shoe leather reporters. Who aren't talking to the president or the White House, but they're talking to um, you know sort of mid-level CIA analysts, you know, mm-hmm. who are uh, have information that they want to leak. Uh, whereas the sort of the pundit class at CNN and elsewhere, um, their uh, big um, uh, selling point is access to the White House and to so if they could get you know Trump or even Kellyanne Conway to appear on their show, that's a big get, right? right. Uh, and so they they kind of have an incentive to occasionally like um uh praise the uh, the White House uh, to keep uh, uh, so so. I think that's the big division. And uh, yeah, it's funny you say that because I've been you know it, 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 I think it was just before the inauguration when they were talking about oh would the White House even have their uh, their daily briefings and so forth. Uh, part of me was hoping, well, you know what? Don't. I hope you cancel them. I hope you don't give access to anyone. And I hope those folks who cover the White House actually have to go out and do actual reporting as opposed to sitting there and, and taking whatever, you know, false statements that uh, the White House, uh, Sean Spicer and so forth, wants to wants to give out. Uh, let's, uh, G, let's... Yeah, no, I, think yeah. right. and I, think, I think, I mean, to give some historical perspective, I mean, it's not like Woodward and Bernstein or Seymour Hersh in the early 70s were going to White House press briefings, right? Like they, right. Were, they were, like, talking to other people who had... Uh, other stories to tell. Um, so I, I think, I, and I think with Trump, that's the way report. You know, that's where the real reporting is going to take place. Let's talk about uh, some of these, uh, some of this American carnage uh, you heard in this speech, as did I, uh, because it did not get the coverage that I think it deserved. So let, let's hit a couple yeah. of. Uh, a couple of points. Uh, he he revisited the same topic uh, of inner cities. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and the. Uh, you know, that they were, what's the wording here that he used? We've financed and built one global project after another, but ignored the fates of our children in the inner cities and so many other places throughout the land. And he referred again to Chicago, Baltimore, Detroit, uh, as essentially the war zones that he's been uh, covering them, <laughs> characterizing them for months now. Yeah, no, I, I, that's a kind of a big part of his rhetoric. And I, I mean, there's two things to say, one of which is that sort of crime... Um, has been on decline, you know, historically, uh, you know, um, for the last 20 years, and it's almost at like a 40-year low. Mm-hmm. There's a slight uptick this year, but I mean, that doesn't come anywhere near to previous crime levels. But I mean, even beyond that, like any amount of crime is bad, right? Like, you know, if you just have like one murder a year, that's still a terrible thing. But it's, it's also like Trump's solution to that, like if you actually listen to it, is to just like unleash the police force and to like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, 
kind of have a Blue Lives Matter agenda. Um, so, and then not really have any policies to address issues of poverty. So, I mean, there's, there's a way in which he's sort of painting a kind of inflammatory picture of these places, you know, which are like um, very complex and, you know, many of which are like uh, 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 thriving and, uh, uh, but not really dealing with like their legitimate problems. Um, so, I, yeah, I think that, that, that I, I, and it just comes to, I mean, I feel like the big problem is that it's not even addressed to the people that are living there, right? Like, like the uh, the predominant audience of who listen who watch that speech were like sort of Republicans, you know, who are white and who are like you know living in suburbs or in rural areas, and so he's giving those people their own view of the cities, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're he's giving people who don't visit cities like their view, you know, like sort of nineteen seventies New York, where uh, right. you know, escape from New York right. vision yes. uh, of urban life, and yes. I think that's a, that's a really d- divisive thing to do. You mentioned this uh, the creation of this thing he calls voice uh, victims of immigration crime engagement, uh, apparently a task force uh, <clears throat> fighting crime by illegal immigrants uh, or immigrant, you know, not well, uh, perfectly documented immigrants uh, that received. a. Well, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. Actually, I, mean, I, mean, I think that they, they, they sort of say it's about illegal, but if you look at the title, it's like <laughs> immigrant crime, right? Like, like do we categorize crime by like, you know, uh, in, in that way, do we speak about, you know, like, like, let's set up a task force on, you know, Jewish criminals. Let's set up mm. a task force uh, uh, on uh, Methodist criminals. You know, like, it just right. doesn't seem, or, you know, like, uh, Chinese criminals. It just doesn't seem, uh, and, and I mean, there's a further point, which is that, you know, immigrants uh, commit, uh, uh, both documented and undocumented, uh, commit like less crime than native-born Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it, it does seem like a, a way, and, and, and even further than that, like, is a murder committed by an immigrant worse than a murder committed by a native-born American? Like, we're kind of, are we setting up a hierarchy of, uh, you know, cr- criminal, criminal actions based on a pl- person's place of birth? Like, well, I- it seems like... Yeah. Well, I was going to say, apparently we are. I mean, if you compare it to the, uh, you know, the, the incident last week in Olathe, Kansas, we've been speaking about for a few days, yeah. uh, you know, had a, uh, a Muslim guy walked in, yelled Allah Akbar and opened fire. I think that would have been, you know, not, you know, on every uh, cable channel. Tr- Trump would have been talking about it every single day since then. But here we had a white guy who opened fire on a couple of uh, guys from India who he thought were Iranian, I guess, and who thought they were here illegally. They were not. Um, And not only is the White House not talking about it, the media are not talking about it really uh, either. So, yeah, there is a difference in the way that, uh, you know, that this is viewed, it seems. No, I think that's right. I think that there is a kind of uh, almost a hierarchy of grief. Uh, And we saw that before with just like, you know, um, Trump um, playing up like sort of you know imaginary crimes in uh, Sweden or in you know Bowling Green, and mm-hmm. uh, and but not talking about you know the real incident that occurred in Quebec City where uh, you know a man walked into a mosque uh, and for racist reasons killed like six uh, Muslim Canadians. Uh, so um, and uh, yeah, I mean there does seem to be. Uh, I mean, I, and there's really no way to see see, see this except that like. Um, uh, Trump is trying to create a hierarchy of lives, you know, of whose lives matter. Mm. Um, and uh, and uh, in some ways, I mean, it's almost his message is, you know, Muslim lives don't matter. Mm. 
Hier- hierarchy of grief, uh, that's a good way to put it. Uh, before I let you go, Jeet, here, um, minutes ago, uh, Jeff Sessions uh, announced, held a press conference, announced that he's recusing himself uh, from any investigation uh, into concerns about Russia and uh, the 2016 election. Uh, do you uh, what, what's your sense? Uh, will this recusal will that make any difference here for for Democrats or will the ball now be moved uh, to calling for Sessions uh, resignation? I, I know some of them are already doing so. Just uh, wanted to get your response here since this news is breaking today. Yeah, well, I mean, there's two things, one of which is this is actually like a big victory for the intelligence community, which wants a continued investigation into the Russia matter and which you know was worried that Sessions would squash it. Um, so that's ultimately good, but I, mean, I don't think it should end here for Sessions. I mean, it's uh, pretty clear that he, uh, uh, you know, a misstate- made a misstatement under oath, and it's really up to the courts to decide whether that's perjury or not. But I mean, uh, Jeff Sessions is a man who wanted to, you know, impeach a president over perjury. Uh, so I think, uh, uh, do we have a different standard for him than for Bill Clinton? Oh, there's a lot of shifting standards, uh, hierarchies of grief and shifting standards of perjury and impeachment. Jeet here. Uh, really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, Jeet is the senior editor at New Republic. You can and should follow him on the Twitters at here Jeet. That's H-E-E-R-J-E-E-T. And of course, you can follow his uh, writing over at NewRepublic.com. Thanks for joining us today, Jeet. Uh, thanks for inviting me. It was really fun. Thank you, brother. All right, running late. Got to get out. Green News Report returns next. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Still stopping the world, still melting for Desi Doyen and the Green News Report after you had a few days off. Indeed. Uh, I would say it's good to be back, but I'll just say we're, we're back with our latest Green News Report. My administration wants to work with members of both parties to promote clean air and clean water. Debunking Trump's environmental bunk in his first address to Congress. Scott Pruitt is facing new questions about his email and his honesty. New emails show EPA administrator lied to Congress. 
Plus, what a crazy, spectacular, unbelievably warm day that we had here across southeastern Wisconsin. Record February heat wave brings early spring across the U.S. All of those early warning signs and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Everything that is broken in our country can be fixed. Not everything. Mr. President, this is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doy and Donald Trump discussed uh, quite a bit of uh, things that had to do with the environment during his first speech to Congress, although in this case, that's not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's actually quite true. His first formal speech to a joint session of Congress on Tuesday night had zero mention of climate change, did not mention the booming U.S. renewable energy industry, and it was pretty much empty of specifics on energy policy. But President Trump did claim he will promote clean clean air and clean water, uh-huh. but his actions have been the opposite of that. Imagine that. He actually touted rolling back regulations that protect the water supply, especially in coal country. We're going to stop the regulations that threaten the future and livelihood of our great coal miners. Now that sounds great as long as you don't know that energy experts universally say coal's real problem is that it can't compete against renewables and natural gas anymore and that repealing regulations won't help revive the coal industry. Trump also didn't tell Americans that his federal budget proposal reportedly slashes the already underfunded Environmental Protection Agency's budget by a quarter. Trump ignored that the booming U.S. renewable energy industry has created millions of jobs, but instead touted temporary construction jobs from building controversial pipelines. We have cleared the way for the construction of the Keystone and Dakota Access Pipelines, thereby creating tens of thousands of jobs. And I've issued a new directive that new American pipelines be made with American steel. Well, hey, there you go. He may be building these new pipelines, but at least they're going to bring us American jobs with American steel. Nope. Trump did not order the use of American-made steel. He just ordered a study that will look into maybe getting to do that eventually. And as I understand... All of the steel for these pipelines has already been created, and it's been created in places like Mexico and, and India. Exactly. And those pipelines will generate less than 4,000 temporary jobs during construction and less than 100 permanent jobs. Well, we're dealing with alternate facts now, so let's just go with tens of thousands of jobs and Don't ask so many questions. Trump also didn't mention in his speech that on Tuesday he did order the EPA to undo a new clean water rule that would have limited the dumping of chemical and industrial waste in the drinking water supplies of nearly one third of all Americans. That rule was formally called the Waters of the United States rule. It was officially finalized last year, so they can't just throw it out. But the EPA will begin the process of revising it. Speaking of the EPA... Some of the emails of the new EPA administrator, Scott Pruitt, have been released, the ones that he exchanged with oil industry executives back when he was attorney general of Oklahoma. The emails show Pruitt had a very cozy and collaborative relationship with the oil industry, especially while he was suing the EPA. And this week... Documents recently obtained by Fox 25 indicate his statement... 
was a lie. Now, the Oklahoma Attorney General's office has confirmed that Pruitt used a private email account to conduct state business while Attorney General, contrary to his testimony to the U.S. Senate. Lock him up. Meanwhile, the U.S. Senate on Wednesday confirmed Montana Republican Representative Ryan Zinke to head the Interior Department, managing the public's resources. Sixteen Democratic senators voted with Republicans to confirm Zinke, who portrays himself as a conservationist and pledges to block attempts to sell off public lands. But Zinke is also a climate science denier who advocates for more fossil fuel extraction. Finally, January 2017 was the third hottest January on record for the entire planet, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And for February, the global data isn't in yet, but the United States in February saw an unusual heat wave that crushed all-time high February temperature records in cities ranging from the Midwest to the Northeast and bringing an early spring 20 days early here in the U.S., according to the U.S. Geological Survey. Hey, it's nice golf weather. You know anybody who builds golf? courses? Hmm, let me think about that. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. We're having a heat wave, a tropical heat wave. The temperature's rising, it isn't surprising, she certainly can, can, can. No, unfortunately, it's not surprising, at least to those of us who uh, listen to the Green News Report. No, not Uh, at all. And, you know, I should say the U.S. Geological Survey actually did link the high February temperatures and the early spring. Flat out said this is related to climate change. Well, don't tell the, uh, the new... Uh, Secretary of the Department of Energy. It looks like Rick Perry, in fact, was confirmed today. Yes, he was confirmed because everybody was busy doing other stuff. So nobody actually noticed that Rick Perry, former governor of Texas and star of Dancing with the Stars, was confirmed by a 62 to 37 vote in the Senate on Thursday. Uh, Perry did not even know what the Department of Energy was when he was nominated or reported. Right. He had no idea what he what it did. He thought because it said energy that it was about oil Oil and gas. gas. It's not. Not. It uh, manages the nation's nuclear stockpile now, and nuclear plants. Oh, that's all? That's uh, all. And you, research, I should say, and research. Let me give him uh, at least some credit here. Unlike uh, Scott Pruitt, who now heads the EPA, um, at, at least from what Perry has said, it seems that he now actually appreciates the people and the work of the Department of Energy Unlike EPA uh, uh, Scott Pruitt, director Scott who is Pruitt, not who, a fan of science, no. Rick Perry has become a fan of science. And I think that's awesome for what it's worth. Well, Pruitt is not even a fan of his own administration that he heads. He wants to get rid of the administration that he heads. Yes. So I know it's a really low bar these days. Uh, but uh, hey, at least we got that with Rick Perry over at the Department of Energy. Yay. I guess. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. As always, to my guest today. Today, Jeet here of New Republic and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast or any other, you can always download it at bradblog.com for free. Stop on by, say hello, uh, or uh, grab it from your favorite podcast site. We, we should be just about everywhere by now. At least I hope. You can also drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com and you can find, follow, Share and uh, harass me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at The Brad Blog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.